The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. youth leaders who are junior high youth leaders, you get an extra dispensation of <laughs> grace. Uh, see here, can this go up just a little bit? Okay. All right, well, I'm glad that uh, you mentioned Pentecost Sunday. Um, it's one of those Sundays that... Uh, in many evangelical churches, uh, isn't really celebrated that much. My wife grew up Christian Reformed in Reformed Church, and that was uh, one Sunday that was a special Sunday for them, as well as Ascension Sunday, which was last week. Uh, but uh, those are things that the church calendar uh, uh, talks about. But anyway, uh, we're going to look at uh, Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles or your iPhone or whatever it is you use for scriptures, if you could turn there to uh, Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. My last church was in Door County. Uh, It was a church plant. And uh, in Door County in the summertime, we need all kinds of students to come from all over the world to help uh, run the businesses there because otherwise there just aren't enough workers. And so uh, one of the great uh, ministries we had as churches is that we would often then get together and have events for these students, and we were able to share the gospel with them. And also, parents or couples or an individual in the church would sponsor a student and help them go through that experience of living in the United States, and they would take them on things and and so forth. And one of the families in our church uh, had adopted for the summer uh, a couple of girls from Turkey, and they were Muslims. And uh, they came to our church because uh, they were trying to check out what was going on in, uh, uh, in the United States and in Christianity and so forth. Although their parents said, whatever you do, do not become Christians when you go to the United States. Uh, and so they were, they were forewarned. Uh, and typically what I would do is I'd give a teaching and we would uh, then, after I gave a teaching, sit down and, uh, in smaller groups and discuss and kind of apply and work through everything. Well, we found out that through our discussion that 
these girls from Muslim, or they're Muslim girls believe that Christians worship three gods. Uh, God, Jesus, and Mary. That was new to me. Uh, and, uh, and so, no, he said, that's not the true. We, we, we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Spirit is not, and so forth. In other words, we're not modalists. We're not like united Pentecostalists, by the way. Modalism is that the Father sometimes shows, or God sometimes shows up at the Father, sometimes shows up as Jesus, sometimes shows up as a Spirit. So we worship, no, one God in three persons of one substance, but not the same person. So the great thing is uh, they kind of sort of understood that, but even believers sometimes have a hard time understanding that. Uh, but the great thing is we said that every believer then who received Jesus receives the Holy Spirit in their life, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit then becomes ministering in us. Uh, we, we talked about a little bit about the, the, what does the Holy Spirit do, do and, uh, of course, the whole idea of completing mission. The Holy Spirit helps us in proclaiming the gospel, helps in promoting the gospel. Uh, he helps us in ministry by equipping us with spiritual gifts so that we can share with one another and minister to one another in the body of Christ as well as uh, in the world. And then also he helps us mature. He helps us mature. Now, by the way, I said he. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person that we can talk to and relate to in our lives, but the Holy Spirit comes in and works in us and matures us so that we can live and walk by the Spirit, which is the theme of keeping in step with the Spirit this morning. Now, when we look at Galatians chapter 5, we see the promise of life in the Spirit. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And of course, he goes on and talks about what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us that life inside, that abundant, fruitful life. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he assures us of victory over the flesh. But I say, walk and you will, by the Spirit, and you will not not. Now, in Greek, that is a double negative. You will not not. You will not not gratify the desires of this flesh. In other words, there's an emphasis on not. You might translate it, you will certainly not, or you will absolutely not. Now, the flesh here is a number of ways that we can, uh, we can translate it. Some translate it sinful nature, uh, which is as good a translation as it can be, but the idea is that the flesh is the power within us that opposes God. Now, don't think of the flesh as being your literal flesh and you know, blood type of thing. The flesh stands for fallen humanity as it is opposed to God. It is the I that uh, Paul refers to when he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He's not talking about his whole person. He's talking about the person of his flesh, that sinful nature that dwells within him. And, of course, God dwells within us by the Spirit, but we still have that flesh, that fallen nature, kind of hanging on, kind of grasping on to who we are. Now, the deeds of the flesh that Paul goes on and describes, I'm not going to get into every single deed and what it all means, but we can kind of categorize them a little bit. We have, first of all, the realm of sex, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And, of course, 
immoral sexuality is not uncommon today. In fact, it's extremely common, more so than it was when I was surely growing up as a young person. It was there, but now it is the sexual revolution of the 70s was a uh, sexual devolution. It was not a revolution. And, uh, and so we are reaping the consequences of that. And by the way, I recommend uh, parents uh, or anybody that has a trouble with sexual orientation, uh, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel by Christopher Wan. Holy Sexuality and the Gospel by Christopher Wan. It's an excellent book. And he talks about that our identity is not found in our sexuality. Our identity is found in Christ. Okay, and that's extremely important. Then we have the realm of religion, idolatry or sorcery. Now, idolatry is not making images per se. It is putting anything in the place of God that shouldn't be there, whether it be money, sports, relationships, work, whatever it might be. And then there's sorcery, which is, I call, playing with fire in the spiritual realm. Uh, in other words, looking at the spiritual world and, and looking for things of spirituality in the wrong places. Idolatry, sorcery. So then we have the realm of society, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Those things which break relationships, whether they be in churches, families, marriages, friendships, or even nations. And then we have the realm of drink or drugs, drunkenness and orgies such as alcohol, marijuana, opioids, heroin, and so forth. Interestingly enough that uh, the word for sorcery is the word pharmakoi from which we get pharmaceutical. In the ancient world, pharm uh, drugs and sorcery and idolatry all went hand in hand. And thus Paul would say, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then he goes on, etc., etc. In other words, it's not a complete list. There's all kinds of lists that he has. But he has this final warning, or this big warning, when he says, um, but I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a pretty stark statement, isn't it? It's kind of a matter of fact. That is to say, if we go on practice these, the, practicing these things, it is evident that we have not repented and trusted in Christ, that we are still living in captivity to sin in the world, and those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about all the stuff we did for COVID. We shut down schools. We shut down churches. We shut down businesses. We stopped going out. We huddled in our houses. And why? Because we were afraid, or we had fear, that COVID would kill us. And early on, we were kind of in the dark what was going to happen. And so everybody was living with a great deal of apprehension. And so everybody sort of went along with the whole process because of fear. Well, guess what? If we practice these kinds of things, it'll do a lot worse for us than what COVID ever did. That if we practice these things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We will not inherit the grave, but we will inherit hell. We'll be destroyed. It would be interesting, and it would be well, if we would take seriously these acts of the flesh as seriously as we took COVID. And so Paul says, listen, 
It's a gruesome reality that if we live by these deeds of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a warning, he says. Now, it's a gruesome and ugly warning, but he goes on to say this, that if we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You will certainly not. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, who is God, is far more powerful than the flesh, which is very finite. The Holy Spirit, now to him, Paul says in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church. In other words, the Holy Spirit can do in us more than we can ask or think because he is indeed God of very gods. That's a good thing, right? And Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a fact statement, and it is a faith statement. And so we can defeat the flesh if we do so on the basis of turning to Christ in faith. And we walk in the Spirit. Now it's also, however, a Christian decision because we have within us the flesh and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says as a command, but I say walk by the Spirit. Now he's not suggesting that you walk by the Spirit. He's commanding we walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. It is a choice. That is not the non-believer's choice. The non-believer doesn't have a choice. The non-believer only has the flesh. The non-believer only lives in captivity to the flesh. Only lives in prison to the sinful nature. But we as believers have a choice. Walk by the Spirit. We have the flesh, to be sure. But we also can be led and walk and follow after the Spirit. And it is to be a constant choice. The Greek word there is in the present tense, which means it's a constant walk. It's an everyday walk. It's a moment-by-moment walk. It's an every second walk. It's not a choice that I make one day, and then I, okay, I'm done with that. It's a choice I've got to get up in the morning and say, i got to do this every day. I am called to live by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And in fact, I can get up in the morning and make that choice, and by afternoon, I'm in the flesh. That's why it's a moment-by-moment decision. It's a walk that we need to constantly be doing to draw on the Spirit's power. And if we do that, then we get those virtues of the Spirit that Paul talks about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, I'm not going to go through every single one. That in and of itself is a sermon, and my messages already get too long. My wife said to me this morning, or yes, actually it was yesterday, she said, yeah, you don't have to do two services. And I said, no, that means you can preach twice as long. (laughs) I will try not to. I always have a fear of running out of material. It took me, and and my wife told me, never do this again. It took me one year to get through the book of Ephesians. She said, never do that again. I got so tired of Ephesians. But anyway, that's that's the side point. But anyway, if we look at all these gifts of these fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
They all have a sort of multidimensional aspect to them. They not only affect our relationship with others, but they reflect our relationship with God and even within ourselves. For example, love. We have a love for God. We are to have a love for others. We can even have a right kind of love for ourselves. There's joy, joy in the Lord, rejoicing with others, and then that joy and contentment within. There's peace with God, there's peace with others, and there's that peace within. Um, and you can go through and you can look at all those fruit of the Spirit, and there's a sort of multidimensional aspect to them. And last week, those of you who weren't here last week, I forgive you, but anyway, uh, last week we talked about the curse, the curse that we have because of fallenness. And that curse is brokenness, brokenness in our relationship with God, brokenness in our relationship with others, brokenness in our relationship even within ourselves. And that the blessing that is to come is the restoration of wholeness, relational, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. And so that is so key. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years, premarital counseling, marriage counseling, and you can go through all the stuff of marital stuff, like finances and how to deal with conflict, how to have a good argument, compromise, accommodation, all that stuff. But I always get down to the bottom line. I said, here's the deal. I can't possibly teach you enough about marriage for you to have a happy marriage. But I can say the key to a happy marriage is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? And so if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit, what you need to have more than anything else is a life in control, being led by and living by the Holy Spirit and not by the flesh. Because I can guarantee you that if you live by the flesh, your marriage will not last very long. But I can also guarantee that if you live by the Spirit, the opportunities for success and a long marriage until death do you part is almost guaranteed. Now Paul goes on to say, in a strange little statement, against such things there is no law. What in the world does he mean by that? Against such things there is no law. Well, Actually, the first person who used that was Aristotle. Aristotle, of course, was a Greek philosopher hundreds of years before Paul. And he basically said this, that persons who surpass their fellows in virtue, like, or they are like gods among men. They do not need to have their actions regulated by laws. On the contrary, they themselves constitute a law or a standard for others. In other words, we cannot legislate peace. Be at peace. Try doing that once. Make a law, be at peace, or have joy, legislate that. You see, against such things, there is no law. These are virtues that man can't create laws for. That is why they are called what? The fruit of who? The spirit. The spirit. It's not something I can drum up within myself. It's not something you can drum up within yourself. It is something that comes because God is empowering you to do the actions that he would do. And you can't legislate it. Everyone loves to see miracles, don't we? You know what the miracle is? That God takes sinners, empowered and enslaved by the flesh, and changes them to live the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience. That is the miracle. And most of us have probably seen people who have been so encaptured by the flesh and the sinful nature, and their lives are radically changed. And you go, well, what can do that? And the answer is, only God can do that. 
Only God can make sinners righteous. Jeremiah says, can the leopard change his spots? Can a black man change his skin? Well, no, but God can. God can change the sinner to be righteous. Now the problem, however, is confronted. And that is this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sound familiar? Raise your hand, right? Amen. Yes. The war within, the conflicting desires, that tug of war, the opposing realities. Now here's the thing, guys, folks, ladies and gentlemen, young people. You cannot have one foot in the flesh and one foot in the spirit. The two are opposing realities. They are mutually exclusive. I can't say, well, you know, I'm going to indulge my flesh in this area, but the other areas I'm going to walk in the spirit. It doesn't work that way. We're either in the flesh or we're in the spirit, one way or the other. Now, Paul is kind of hinting at something he later goes on to write about, although he probably didn't have it in mind at the time he said this, because Galatians was written before Romans, and that is Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, or if you want to turn there, Romans chapter 7 is one of those key passages that talks about the very thing I want to do is the very thing I don't. I don't understand it. I have a delight within myself to do this, but I do completely the opposite. And a lot of people experience that. I think we've all experienced that, right? You've experienced it. I've experienced it, for sure. Okay? Now, Romans chapter 7, the big controversy is this. Did Paul state this as a Jew, under, as a Pharisee, or is he talking about the Christian experience? That is, and if you read the commentaries, they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't really care, to be honest with you. Because what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7 is somebody who finds life in the law. In other words, it's not a life in the spirit. It's a life in the flesh that wants to obey the law to be righteous before God. It is works righteousness. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. In other words, he was looking at life in the law. But sin, he says, seizes an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. In other words, the law came, as he will go on to say, not to give us life, but to convict us of sin and the need for life. Not life within ourselves, but life coming from Christ. And so the law came to reveal his flesh, his sinful nature. That is to say that no good thing dwells within me that is in my sinful nature. And thus he goes through this whole kind of thing. You know, the Bible says, the law says, do not covet, but what did it do? It brought up all kinds of covetous desires in me. And so I tried not to covet, but all of a sudden I find myself coveting like crazy. And on and on he goes, I don't do the very things I want to do, and the things I don't want to do, those are the very things I do do. And then finally he comes to the end of himself, and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this what? Body of death. This is what religious legalism brings, folks. Whether we're pre-Christian 
or a Christian. If you're living legalism, you will experience Romans chapter 7. If you try to find righteousness in the law or merit before God based on who you are and what you've done, you will experience the frustration and the wretchedness that Paul talks about when he says, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit, so the things that you want to do are the very things you don't. Now Galatians is all talking about this, and so Paul says in Galatians 3, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So, don't be foolish in the fight, friends. Don't be foolish. Don't depend on the bootstraps that you pull up. Don't depend on your self-effort before God to be righteous. And don't think your righteousness that you do makes you acceptable before God. Because if you do, you will be, oh, foolish. Oh, foolish, Galatians. That brings us to the process needed for life in the Spirit. And that's where we get to this statement in Galatians chapter 5. And you ask yourself, well, why did he say this? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those who oppose each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. But, but, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. What does he mean by that? And what's the key to success, to living life in the Spirit? The first thing we need to do is be determined to live under grace. What's the opposite of being under law? It's being under grace. Under grace means that I'm living a different life principle. The, ways, the way I live now is by the grace that God has given me Purely by his mercy, I have nothing whatsoever to bring. I have no merit at all to establish my righteousness before God. Rather, God gives me his righteousness as a gift that I receive by faith. And I have to stand by that. Paul says in 6.14, Romans 6.14, But you are not under law, but under grace. And so we must trust in Christ alone. No obedience I display has any merit whatsoever before God. We must count all of our righteousness, as Paul says in Philippians, as garbage, rubbish, before Almighty God. If we add righteousness, our righteousness, to the Christ who died, that it makes his crucifixion worthless. If you could be righteous by the law, Paul says in Galatians, then you have nullified the cross. The cross is where we begin, the cross is where we end, the cross is where we live. Now, we are wired towards self-righteousness, people. We are wired, and it gets done to us at a very, very early age. Santa Claus, I kid you not, is full of self-righteousness. He keeps a list, checking it twice, to whether or not you're on the list of naughty or nice. And you get a gift where, well, if you're on the nice list, you get a gift. But if you're on the naughty list, you don't. And we just 
This self-righteousness is ingrained in us as little children. Every Christmas it is. On TV, everywhere, it's just ingrained in us. I believe that this is why the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, to be, to be celebrated on and on and on and on. In fact, in the early church, the Lord's Supper was really celebrated every time they got together. Why? Because the emphasis was on the cross, not righteousness in ourselves. One person says, preach the gospel often, and especially to ourselves. I like that. Preach the gospel often, and especially to ourselves. Count yourselves, Paul says, dead to sin and alive to God. Understand your status. The flesh has no power over you. It only has power if you give it. The Holy Spirit, though, can and does have power to enable you and, uh, and, and impact you. So count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. My daughter, Lizzie, was a really good runner in high school, and when she was starting cross-country, she didn't do so well. She would start out, and she would be in a, end in about 15th or 20th place, and she'd get done, and she's very, very competitive. And the thing about it is, and I'm glad she's not here because she would hate me to use this illustration. I never used illustrations with my kids when I was preaching because I hated it. Got their attention, though. Anyway... I would see her, and she was frustrated, and I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and, and, and I helped coach track, and so I knew the cross-country coaches. And I said, here's the thing. This is a suggestion. Why don't we tell Lizzie, instead of waiting in the back, how about we say sprint to the front right away? I think she's got that ability. And so we sat down with her, and this is probably the only one of the few times she ever listened to me as a teenager. And so we sat down with her, and I said, Lizzie, Listen, you have every bit of talent and speed to get out there in front. Go for it. I mean, what is there to lose? You die? I mean, what, I, mean I don't think you will. <laughs> Only a cross-country coach would say that. And so the next race, she took our advice, and she sped to the front. And she won the race. I think we have to have the same attitude. You know what happens to us as believers? We, we don't do the things we wanted to, and immediately what? We feel defeated. And we kind of go, oh, I just can't do this. I can't possibly change. And change is hard. It is hard. But listen, we have to understand the Holy Spirit lives within us and empowers us. And if we walk by the Spirit, we will certainly not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That is a faith statement. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. Now, it may not always be such an easy process, however. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Ah, not such an easy process. Crucifixion. This is a good way of talking about repentance. Repentance. Repentance comes from the Greek word, which means to change the mind, and in Hebrew it means to turn around. So repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Crucifixion is an apt description of how we are to deal with the flesh. Now this is a little different than Galatians 2.20 where it's in the passive sense. I have been crucified with Christ. That's something that God does for us. But here it's in the active present tense 
excuse me, act of aorist tense, which means that it is our job to crucify the flesh, and we are to do so decisively. Now, when we think of crucifixion, first of all, it is a pitiless death. People who are crucified, no pity is shown. No pity is shown. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, what do you say? Pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, what do you say? Cut it off. In other words, have a kind of pitiless attitude about sin. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's painful. Crucifixion is the most painful death that there is. That's why later in Roman society, they stopped doing it. It was so horrifying. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. They don't show this advertisement on TV anymore. It used to be the old Fram oil filters. Those who are older remember this. Remember the old Fram oil filters? Change the oil filter now. Why? Pay me now or what? Pay me later. Remember that? Pay me now or pay me later. Yes, there is a painful, pitiless process, but it's pay me now or pay me later. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it is to be decisive. We don't slide into repentance. You know, kind of like on a process, right? I'm going to slide into repentance. No, we crucify the flesh. It's decisive. Now, caution, caution, caution. Repentance is not a merit we bring to God. Repentance is not something we can go to God and say, ah, see what I did? I deserve this. No, we crucify the flesh. We repent because we have a desire to walk and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to what? Put ourselves under grace, crucify the flesh with its evil desires in a pitiless, painful, and sometimes in a very much decisive way, and then we submit to the direction of the Spirit. But if we live by the Spirit, let us what? Keep in step with the Spirit. The Greek word there is different than the word used in verse 16 where it says walk, but here the idea is that we fall in line with what the Spirit is telling us to do. Again, this word is in the present tense, which means we are to constantly keep in step with the Spirit. Now, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? How are we led by the Spirit? Well, in order for us to submit to the direction of the Spirit, we need to know where the Spirit is leading us, right? Where does he lead us? Well, how do we know? We know through his word that he's revealed to us what we should do. This isn't some subjective feeling that we have. This is the objective understanding of what the truth of scriptures are. So in Ephesians 5.18, it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit as you what? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What many people don't realize is that Colossians 3.16 is a parallel to that passage. And in that passage, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be dwelling in the Word of God go hand in hand. The Spirit and the Word go hand in hand. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. 
And so the way we walk or keep in step with the Spirit is we come and we are led by the Spirit, which means we are submitting to the revealed truth of God's Word. So let me kind of summarize, and you want to put up the overhead. Oh, thank you. We had a little trouble getting this on. <clears throat> Here's the key to life in the Spirit. And I try to draw up a graphic. Graphics are always uh, tenuous. There's the flesh, and I have it in small letters because I wanted to give the idea that it is no way as powerful as the Spirit. In the flesh, this is how we can live. We can live under the law. We're all, when we're in the flesh, we're always living under the law. That's when we try to add works to our faith. It's faith plus works. The way I obtain merit before God is not only to believe in Jesus, and that's the heresy that the Galatians were dealing with. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. I must merit it by obedience to the law, or whatever that might be. The consequence of that is not the law-keeping that people so honest think that they're going to get, but it is the deeds of the flesh. That's why in verse 26, which I didn't read, he goes on to say, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, he's saying, Galatians, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up doing the deeds of the flesh, the very things that you don't want to do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Romans chapter 7. Therefore, what must I do? Because we're often going to find ourselves on the right side. Let's be honest with ourselves. No one here is going to leave this morning and perfectly walk in the Spirit. If you do, can I talk to you afterwards? I want to know the secret. No, actually, the secret is perfect faith. But how many people have perfect faith here? No, we all have faith, what, mixed with doubt and unbelief, don't we? We're all kind of like the guy who says, Lord, I believe, what? Help my unbelief, right? We're all kind of in that midst to some degree. Ah, we're because we're human. We're fallen. We kind of have that flesh hanging along, like stinky fish. And so we have the flesh. We're under the law, faith and works, deeds of the flesh. And we know we're in the flesh because of the deeds that I talked about, that Paul listed. So what must I do? I must repent. I must crucify the flesh with its evil desires. I must repent. I must change my mind about faith plus works. I must change my mind about being under the law. I must change my mind about the deeds of the flesh. And I repent and I put myself under God's grace. This is the key. This is the key. I put myself under God's grace, and I live by faith in Christ alone. That's why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I live, I live by faith. I live by faith. The righteous what? Live by faith. Not in ourselves, but in Christ who died for us. And when we are under grace, and we live by faith alone, the fruit of the Spirit will constantly become welling up with inside of us. It won't happen right away. There is that growth that comes. But more and more, our, our life will be having the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is the key. This is the key that Paul wants us to understand. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have Christ, you have no choice. You've only got the right side, the flesh. And Paul says, I warn you that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a horrible thing. Which side do you want? Which side do you want? Do you want to live by the Spirit or live by the flesh? 
Do you want to be alienated from Christ to live a life of destruction? Or do you want the Holy Spirit in your life to bring a life of wholeness and blessing, a life for eternity? That's a choice. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a choice that you're going to have to make at some point in your life. And today may, in fact, be the time for that choice. And I encourage you. And this is the thing that's so hard because we think that we somehow have to merit what God is going to give us. Listen, God is not Santa Claus. He gives us his gift of salvation by grace. And we receive it humbly by faith. And it's, it's hard for us to get over that. So I encourage you this morning as we pray. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to receive God's grace. Today is a time for you to start a different kind of life. Not to live in the flesh, but to live by the Spirit in love, in joy, in peace. You may have all kinds of problems. Listen, don't come to God thinking you have to solve your problems. Let God take care of those problems. Let him change you. You don't come to God. You don't first change yourself and then come to him. You come to him and he will change you. That is the power of salvation. The gospel is the power of God and salvation to all those who believe. If you're a young person here this morning, listen, I was 15. I sat in the pew every morning when the, uh, when the pastor gave the invitation. And I gritted against it until I turned 15. And I made that decision. Best decision I made in my life. Don't leave this morning. Young person, I don't care how old you are. If you know Christ, you can know his power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the things we did do. We have sinned. Thank you, Jesus, that you bore all our sin. There's nothing that we can bring except in humility and faith and receive you. I pray for those here this morning that maybe there's somebody here this morning who doesn't know you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would open their hearts to receive and believe. A simple prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I receive you. I confess you as Lord. I believe that you died and rose again for me. And I receive you in my life. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you sent on the day of Pentecost to live in us, to change us. And Lord, sometimes the process is hurtful. Sometimes it's hard to crucify that flesh. But Lord, the blessing that comes is a life saved. I pray, Lord, that we would not submit to the law, but Lord, that we would come under grace and live by faith on a daily basis so that we can, in fact, live and do those things that the Spirit so empowers us to do. Before we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, 
deepen your faith and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.